Welcome to Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get the job they really love. In addition to working with job seekers one-on-one, I do have a book available. You can find How to Get a Job Without Going Crazy on Amazon. My guest today is Beth Sager, who is actually one of my team members here at Personal Touch. I consider myself a writer, editor, and all-around grammar freak. Yes, and cat guru. And cat guru. Yeah. So our show's purpose overall is to explore and redefine the world of work, especially as Gen X, Millennials, and those to come after seek positions of leadership that still allow them to be themselves. Every show, we will explore a topic related to business or job searching. And of course, we're going to talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services, Denver's top-rated career coaching uh, service. So we focus on the practical tools for your job search, which is resumes, LinkedIn profiles, of course, job search coaching, and ongoing classes. So check out our ridiculously long website, personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com. Or, you know, you can just Google it. So, first and foremost, uh, today we're going to be talking about, honestly, the whole concept of you get what you pay for. So, Beth, you already told me a little bit about yourself. Why don't you just give us a little bit more information about your background? Well, I have been a resume writer since 2011, and I believe I've been working with you since uh, January 2014, I think. I think so. I think so. So that's that's a lot of years. That's longer than I've done anything else professionally, and I really just love words. I love you know, the combination of technical and creative writing that a resume is and really being able to help somebody with a very important part of their lives. And also, as you mentioned earlier, I am a cat rescue freak and I have five of my own little fur balls who are all special needs rescues. That's pretty cool. I mean that's one thing I really like about you Beth is that you throw yourself wholeheartedly into whatever you're doing. I I am a passionate person about pretty much everything I do and if I'm not passionate I'm probably not going to do it. (laughs) Yeah yeah and I think that's an important point too whenever somebody's looking to get some help with a professional whether it's a tattoo artist, an accountant, a resume writer, or whatever. It's great to have somebody who's passionate about what they do, um, but they also have to be kind of knowledgeable. Yes, very important. Yeah. So one of the things I ran across recently is the story of the $10,000 consultant. Have you ever heard about this guy? Well, I hadn't until you sent me this, and it's quite an interesting story. Yeah, so the whole story stems back into this guy. His name was Charles Proteus Steinmetz, uh, also known as the Wizard of Schenectady. So obviously this was like in the 1920s when people had cool titles like that. Can I be the Wizard of Cats? <laughs> yes, you're the Wizardess of Cats. You're the Queen yes. of Cats. <laughs> so uh, with this guy's, uh, he was an expert in mathematics and electrical engineering. He was a contemporary of Einstein and Tesla and Thomas Edison, and they like hung around in similar groups. So um, not only this, he was an unusual character because he was uh, only four feet tall. 
Um, he didn't walk straight. He had like a hump back and he had to walk with a cane and things like this. But it, this is a time I don't necessarily think of people, you know, admiring diversity. But <laughs> he was. Not so much. Yeah, he was very well respected in what he did because he was such a genius. So he was also a German immig immigrant and uh, he settled in New York. And one of his most famous things was Henry Ford was having a problem with one of his uh, factories, right? So they called him in to take a look at everything. And uh, he spent two days there. All he asked for was a notebook, a pencil, and a cot. So it was one of their, specifically their generators was giving him a big trouble. So he settled down to listen to the gener generator just scribbled some computations on a notepad for like two days. So on the second night, he asked for a ladder and he climbed up on the generator and made a chalk mark on its side. Then he told Ford's skeptical engineers to remove the plate at that mark and replace 16 windings on the field coil. They did, and then the generator performed to perfection. So obviously Henry Ford was really thrilled that this got all taken care of relatively easy, but then he got the bill, which was like $10,000. Which is like 100000 today, right? Right, because this is like in the 1920s. Right. So, of course, Ford was like, what the hell? So he asked for an itemized bill. And what Steinmetz wrote was, making chalk mark on the generator, $1. Knowing where to make the mark, $9,999. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant. So, of course, Ford paid the bill. But that is an example of when you're getting a service, no matter what you're buying in the world, you're not necessarily paying for the service itself. It's paying for the knowledge behind that. That is absolutely true. I have had people balk at my prices before uh, because they say all you're doing is formatting something in Word, but a whole lot more goes into it than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I get so, that pushback sometimes, too. There's, like, services like Thumbtack.com. Are you familiar with them? Um, they're like Fiverr, right? Like a similar sort of thing? Sort of, yeah. So you put in a quote, and you ask for people to, you know, put in, like, a bid on your job. So mm -hmm. uh, all the time I see people wanting to get, like, a resume done for a senior manager, which is, like, goes 20 years, and they only want to pay $100. And it's like... Um, That's ridiculous. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll tell you, there are services who will do it for $100, but all you're going to get is some very minor edits on what you've already put together. You're going to get $100 worth of work. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one resume writer I had several years ago that, you know, I thought he was okay. He produced his work super, super fast, but then I kept getting complaints, and then I was, like, starting to read it closer. I'm all like this is a mess. And so I contact him about it. And it's like, look, we need to step up the quality here. And our big thing is that we get to know our clients really closely. We invest time in a questionnaire and we talk to them for like an hour and all the rest of this. And um, he pushed back at me and he says, well, I want you to know how important you are to me. This is not like a $20 resume. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> this was his good resume. Yeah, because he was still subcontracted to other companies. But he was getting used to being paid $20 wow. to write a full resume. Wow, so, that's 
No wonder the quality was bad, right? Oh, yeah, it was awful. So, and then he's like, so that's my second strike, right? I still get one more strike? It's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, oh, my goodness. So that also comes up to this other concept that I like to think about, which is known as good, fast, or cheap, pick two. Have you ever heard that saying before? Absolutely have. So what's your experience with that one? Um, I think my experience, I have both professionally and then as a uh, consumer myself. Professionally, if somebody wants something tomorrow, they better expect to pay a pretty penny for it because, you know, I have a life and I don't want to cancel my evening plans to write your resume for tomorrow and not get any extra for it. It's just not going to work that way because I value my time. Mm -hmm. Um, Likewise, if someone doesn't have much money, like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to put that much time into it. I have kind of a minimum amount per hour that I'm willing to work for. And if you're not going to pay me very much, you're not going to get very good quality. And that sounds kind of mean, but, you know, I have my own standards for myself. Yeah. And then I think also as um, as a consumer, so for instance, um, one of my cats is on uh, medication for asthma. And I found an online pharmacy that was selling it really cheap. And my vet cautioned me, you know, those really cheap ones might not be the quality that you're thinking. And I was like, mm -hmm. you know, that's absolutely right. Because why would I expect a medication that typically costs $250 to be 40 and have still be quality. I mean, it just doesn't yeah. make much sense. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it's kind of like almost like the Disneyland experience, if you think about it. So how does that work? So, you know, if you want to go to Disneyland, you're probably going to pay a hundred or bucks a person to get in the door. So if you're going, oh, I don't want to pay that much money but I want to ride the rides. Well, I'm going to go down to the local carnival down the street and pay $5 to ride the Ferris wheel. Which might fall over. Which might fall over, yes. <laughs> it, you're not getting the Disney experience. Right. Similar, if you want to have the ultimate Disney experience where you get to be bumped ahead of line in front of everybody else, that's both good and fast. It's certainly not cheap. Nope. Yep. Whereas our carnies, they're cheap, they're fast, they're not necessarily good. <laughs> or safe. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or sometimes I will do uh, projects for friends, right? Or family. Right. So for them, they get it good and they get it cheap, but they know they are not going to get it fast. You know, that's funny because I, my, uh, my husband sent me his resume last week and said, hey, can you take a look at this? I opened it once. I haven't. I mean, I will wait. <laughs> I'm not charging him, obviously. But I will look at it when I have time. Yeah. Not fast. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what are some other examples have you seen of that whole concept of good, fast, or cheap? Hmm. How about restaurants? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean when I go to the really delicious organic restaurant that we have up here in Conifer, it's delicious food and it takes forever to prepare. And that's okay because it's great. If I want something quick, I'll go get a burger or Wendy's and probably have food poisoning later. <laughs> so that's fast, cheap, and not good. <laughs> yep. 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 So it definitely applies in multiple situations and you know, we hear a lot about the millennials are destroying industries, right? 
which I take personal offense to as a borderline millennial. Thank you. Now, why do you take offense to that? Because, you know, millennials, so we, we are in a time when living expenses are very high, student loans are very high, and the job market is not really great for millennials right now. A lot of people are doing, you know, contract work, and a lot mm -hmm. of millennials are just figuring out different ways to make ends meet for each other. And because of all this innovation going on, a lot of people who are, you know, less open to change are seeing this as millennials destroying industries. But really, I just see it as disruption. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to put it. And it, it's kind of like the evolve or die concept. Yes. And there are certainly some career coaches that I've seen who have been very, very reluctant to evolve. And even though I try to teach them, like, this is not going to work anymore. It doesn't make sense. Like I had this one gal that I used to refer business to, and then I had one of my clients come back to me and she said, well, this person told me I need to write letters to my past employers, like a physical letter rather than contacting them through LinkedIn. Hmm. I'm like, well, that's just weird. Bizarre. You know, it's like, I can see doing a letter as a way to reinforce something. So yes. a lot of times when I coach somebody on interview coaching, I'm like, once you leave the interview, you're going to send them an email thank you immediately, but then you're going to drop a handwritten note in the mail as well, because then two to three days later, they get your personal note, right? And, and it's that reminds got, them, oh, that great interview I had. Exactly. And besides, very few people are doing that. So that helps you stand out from the crowd. Yes. Uh, but that's not the same thing as I'm not going to reach out to people on LinkedIn that I know to help expand my network. That's just that's just happen. not smart because it's such a, a very, very useful tool um, mm -hmm. to network and mm -hmm. to not accept it because, you know, 20 years ago, people were writing letters and we should still do that. That's just not, you know, changing with the times. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, there was an old strategy that uh, used to be used that, you know, of course you couldn't figure out anybody's hiring manager's names because the interwebs did not exist. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm Gen X. I'm not like, like a, there was the internet when I had been alive. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't have it in the 80s, but, you know, <laughs> we had the internet in the 90s. And and Oregon Trail. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Talk it's about scary. not good, not not cheap, and not fast. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, but I read in this book, and it was still being sold, that what you need to do to reach hiring managers is that you call up the company and you get the extension number for the secretary. They didn't even say executive assistant. They called him the <laughs> secretary. And then you dial one number higher because that's how it works in the phone trees. And that will get you the managers. Wow. I know. Wow. <laughs> by the way, we do not recommend that anymore. <laughs> this strategy is not endorsed by Personal Touch Career Services. No. No, there's just way too many ways to find the information that you need right. at our fingertips. And I think that's one of the reasons why people start thinking just because it was so easy to find somebody on LinkedIn, they make the contact just as cheap. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I guess you know, I can see where they're coming from with that. 
Yeah, they don't invest time into writing a customized message. So they get a low acceptance rate from these strangers they're reaching out to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even when they get the person to accept, they don't know what to do with it afterwards. Right. So that's why it's a cheap contact. It's like, yeah, you have this name at this company, but you never developed a relationship. Right. So the value is very low. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So any pet peeves that you see from resumes that you just wish people were a little bit smarter about? Um, well, this kind of goes in line with the good, fast, and cheap. Um, I see a lot of resumes that people bring to me that were put together for them by a quote-unquote professional resume writer, mm -hmm. um, which that's not a, uh, you know, controlled term. Anyone can call themselves that. Um, and some of these just are rife with mistakes, not only grammatical, but formatting and things like, you know, starting every bullet point responsible for, responsible for, oh, yeah. responsible for. Yeah. So, you know... I kind of, you know, sometimes these people will tell me, well, but I paid $200 for it. And I, I, I try not to laugh because, um, of course you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a like when people, you know, complain about pricing, I'll explain to them, like, there's a lot of knowledge and expertise that goes into this. And it's not just reformatting something into a Word document and making it look nice. There's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of attention to detail. There is um, a lot of, you know, personalizing it. So it's not just reading like a job description. Yeah. It's reading like your personal resume. So, you know, I, I, it's a real big pet peeve of mine when someone gives me a quote-unquote professionally prepared resume and it's just not good. Yeah. It gives us a bad name. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I agree. And then it directly funnels into the other thing of knowing your own value as a job seeker or as a candidate. Mm-hmm. And when you present a document or your LinkedIn profile is just like nothing, like nothing but your work history, that is not saying to the employers that you are a high value candidate. It's not saying that you care about your your job search either. Right. Or what's even worse, it's it's not giving us anything of your personality. Correct. Yeah. It's like, yes, we know we have to have the keywords to get through the screening computers, but at some level, it needs to say who you are as a person and why you are standing out from the other candidates. Right, because probably anyone applying for the job, or at least anyone making it through the applicant tracking software, is going to have the X, Y, and Z skills that are needed for the job. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what the hiring manager wants to know is what makes you different. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So the other thing too, and I do this when I'm training people on like their negotiation skills, especially for women, is number one, know what your worth is and get comfortable with saying those numbers. Because mm -hmm. otherwise people are going to treat you with that same motto, a good, faster, cheap pick too. Yep. Yep. And uh, it's like, I train them, I'll, I'll do workshops with women and I'm like, okay, I want you to say your numbers and then not say anything else afterwards. So I want <laughs> yes. you to say, I am seeking a salary of eighty to $100,000. Period. Period. Silence. And that's the creepy part they have to get over is that silence that comes afterwards. Because I, oh, so often when I was doing HR and I would like, um, 
interview, especially the assistants, tend to be a little bit more weak, meek. And back in the day, I was, I had authority to hire up to $15 an hour. And I would ask these assistants, so what kind of salary are you seeking? And they're like, well, I was hoping to get 13 but I'll take 12 Then you're getting 12 Not necessarily. Now, me, I'm not an asshole, so I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I would, like, give them 14 an hour because then I bought their loyalty because I didn't roast them when I could have. Sure, okay, okay. But I'm still golden with the boss because I had authority to hire up to 15 an hour. Right, right. So... Those are those things that are all the strategies that are going on behind the scenes in HR's mind. But if you're able to say, I am seeking a salary from X to X, say it with confidence, people are going to believe you. Absolutely. You know, my uncle, who uh, before he retired was a very, very successful estate lawyer, once told me that he was at a business conference and they were saying that 80% of doing anything well or getting someone to believe you can do something well is being confident. The other 20%, of course, you have to actually have the skills to do it. But if you can present with confidence, that's the majority of getting your foot in the door. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we've come to the part of the show that's my favorite part, where we're going to talk about tattoos. Hooray! Yay! And Beth, I know you have quite a few, so why did you tell me about your favorite tattoo? Um, I think my favorite one of mine, I have a large piece on my back that is um, a particular mountain range in Colorado. So I'm also, for our listeners, um, I'm a mountaineer and rock climber, um, and getting into climbing the 14ers in Colorado was very big for me to just develop my identity as an adult and uh, really become the confident woman and who I am. Um, and this one very beautiful mountain range, the Blanca Massif uh, near Alamosa, Colorado, was just such a beautiful and powerful range for me. So I had my artist um, use the silhouette of that range and then he suggested that we incorporate some uh, alpine flowers around it to kind of mm. frame the mountains. So it's these three beautiful mountains surrounded by uh, some columbines, which is Colorado state flower, and Indian paintbrush, which are those beautiful reddish orange, uh, they, they look like paintbrushes. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and it's about uh, probably nine, nine inches across, nine inches tall. So it's nice. a decently sized piece and took about six hours to make. And I'm, I've just been happy with it from day one. Awesome. That's cool. That's cool. I didn't even know you had a piece that big. You didn't? No, I didn't. Well, I haven't seen that time one. I, see you. I guess yeah. I'm not usually wearing tank tops when I come in. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just wear whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get a cat tattoo eventually. I just, it's, it's hard to prioritize sometimes. Oh, yes, I know. I understand. Mm -hmm. Especially when I was doing triathlon and I was swimming a lot, you know, I'd have to take like two weeks off from swimming. And then I didn't want to do it and blah, 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 excuses. I just need to get the tattoo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I completely understand that. Well, thank you very much, Beth, for joining us here today. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. Once again, my name is Donna Shannon with Beth Sager. We're with the Personal Touch Career Services. Uh, the website's too damn long. Just Google that. And uh, we shall see you next time. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye.